0: Hello everyone, welcome to episode 13 of the Haunted Visions podcast. We are dedicated to stories of the paranormal, spine-chilling history, and adventures into the darkness of the unknown. So grab a flashlight, lock your doors, curl up under your blankets, and prepare to be scared. Hi everybody, this is Rachel. Um, I'm flying solo on this episode I'm sorry we haven't been able to get you a episode out sooner than today, but I wanted to let you know that Brandy and I, uh, with heavy hearts, just haven't been able to get together to record. We haven't forgotten about you, and um just with everything that came up with the holidays and some things that we have going on at work, we haven't been able to record. However, Brandy will be joining me next episode, and hopefully you get to hear her lovely shining voice soon. And this episode is going to be about spontaneous human combustion. Now, this subject has always fascinated me. And if Brandy was here, I'm sure she would be giving me a a crazy look from across the table right now. Because we have always talked about this and wanting to do an episode on this. And lucky number 13, here it is. Did a lot of research about this. I hope that you guys really enjoy it. I'm also going to be talking about a, a few other things after this. And, um, here it goes. So, what I found is spontaneous human combustion refers to a person that bursts into flames and combusts without an external source of ignition. There are many reported cases of spontaneous human combustion, some dating as far back as the 16 and 1700s. Granted, there aren't as many writings on those, so those are really, really hard to find. But doctors didn't take much, much interest in the subject initially, but... Widespread reports emerged in France in the 1700s and then doctors and surgeons alike had no choice but to investigate the phenomena further because, you know, at that point there were just way too many cases to ignore. Though some cases have actual photographic evidence as the 1900s approached, there are others earlier cases that are possibly based mostly on legend, seeing as they were handed down in stories and tales. So they have a legend that I found that really piqued my curiosity. I heard about it a few years ago and I was excited because this is the first time I've actually decided to dig in and do more research on it. Um, but it's about the legend of Mrs. Nicole Millet. She was a middle-aged alcoholic who would help her husband with running an inn. That was their livelihood. There were no rumors that the couple wasn't happy and they appeared to be content in their relationship and business. At least that's what the reports were from the outside. And in the early morning hours of February 20th, 1725, Nicole's husband, Jean, woke up from a terrible, woke up to a terrible smell. He ventured into the parlor and he was confronted with the grisly sight of his wife's charred body. It just greeted him as he lifted up his lantern. And you can imagine this, this is going to be nasty. He had the smell of burnt flesh offend his nostrils. The chair his wife was sitting in was completely unharmed. Nothing else in the home was burnt up other than a small area of the floor that was beneath the chair. Jean, horrified and completely beside himself, immediately alerted the authorities. I don't know about you guys, but if I just woke up and randomly saw that my wife or my husband was a pile of ashes, I i probably would faint or pass out. <laughs> I wouldn't be uh be able to collect myself right away to call the authorities i think i might have a little bit of a freak out moment and who knows maybe poor jean did um but after the authorities uh showed up and had a quick assessment of the scene it's the story goes that jean was promptly arrested for the murder of his wife because of course the police speculated that he had murdered his wife to carry out marrying a young gorgeous woman who worked for him at the inn Now, the young maiden never corroborated these outlandish speculations, but of course, you know, back in those days, police didn't really have any evidence to go on, so they're going to accuse him of something crazy and outlandish because they don't know what the heck to do. Jean was later acquitted because a surgeon by the name of Le Cat, yes, I said Le Cat, I know, immediately as soon as I read that name I was like, "Eh, meow, who knows, well, this guy examined poor Nicole's body, and he attested that this seemed like a rare case of spontaneous human combustion. Plus, there wasn't any other evidence to prove that Miss Millet had, mur- Mr. Millet had murdered his wife. Several sources show that Jean returned to the inn and continued business as usual after he was released. Others say he went mad from being broken up about the death of his wife and that he eventually had to be institutionalized and then the inn was sold off and changed ownership. So this poor guy lost everything. He lost his poor wife. You know, if he did have something going on, you know, a side action going on with the, the maiden at the inn, well, that's stuff's gone now. She doesn't want anything to do with him. He's not making any more money. um, And she doesn't want to be all wrangled up in that. And then this poor guy lost it when basically batshit insane thrown into an institution his whole life changed so though the story could be complete hearsay there are many other cases of spontaneous human combustion that can't be ignored so even though that was from forever ago and there's not a lot of evidence to prove if it was true or false i have some other stories i'm going to talk to you about and they typically have one common factor that we're going to dive into the consumption of large quantities of alcohol So let's take a look at some extreme cases that I found. Um, I used several sources, um, some from encyclopedia.com. Very interesting stories that I was able to corroborate on several other websites as well. So here's one that I thought was probably the most terrifying because it sounds like it's out of a storybook, Um, and it seems, you know, nice enough, these these two stories that I'm about to tell you about, but... (laughs) I don't know why I picture this beautiful, beautiful day. These poor people are going about and then bam, they light up. So on July 30th, 1937, a woman who had been paddling about in a small boat with her husband and children at England's Norfolk Broads was engulfed by terrible blue flames and was nothing but a mound of ash in a matter of a few horrifying moments. Neither any member of her family nor the wooden boat was harmed. Can you imagine just paddling along? It's a beautiful day. Maybe she had a little umbrella, a little sunbrella, hanging out with her family and her kids, and then bam. Like, just like that. Completely just blown away. That's not normal. (laughs) I (laughs) I don't think anybody would consider that normal. But, you know, I just imagine, you know, I don't know, an alien bored out of his mind, like a kid on an anthill burning, you know, ants. It just makes you wonder... What the hell happened? Is it really spontaneous human combustion? Or, or, you know, was this poor, poor woman a project for an alien trying to show off to his buddies that he could fry her to a crisp within blue flames, you know, in the middle of the day? Who knows? Creepy, creepy, creepy stuff. On September 20th in 1938 in Kelmsford, England, a woman burst into blue flames in the midst of a crowded dance floor. No one was able to extinguish the blaze that seemed to be fed by her own flesh And in minutes, she was but a heap of ashes. Nothing remained of her. And nothing was harmed. The floor wasn't harmed. No one else was harmed. No one could put her out. But, I mean, to think, that's got to be a really intense heat to have blue flame like that and then also just to completely take out a human body within the matter of what seemed probably like seconds. It's insane. And here's another interesting story. August 19th, 1966. Doris Lee Jacobs of Ocana, California, burned to death in her trailer home at 1342 23rd Street. Although Jacob suffered burns on over 95% of her body, the inside of the trailer was only partially scorched. Officials could offer no explanation for the fire, because it was with the woman, not the trailer, who had burst into flames. Nothing else was damaged. Of course, starting to see a pattern here. December 1956, Virginia Kajet of Honolulu, Hawaii, walked into the room of young Sick Kim, a 78-year-old disabled person, to find him enveloped in blue flames. Again, with the blue flames. By the time firemen arrived on the scene, Kim and his easy chair were as- ashes. Oops, not asses. Wrong-o. Strangely enough, nearby curtains and clothing were untouched by fire, in spite of the fierce heat that would have been necessary to consume a human being. It just baffles me. The whole thing just baffles me. On March 24th, 1997, so we're getting into more recent years, 76-year-old John O'Connor was found dead in his living room at Gordoline in Northern Ireland. An intense and localized heat had left only his head, upper torso, and feet unburned, as well as the chair in which he was sitting. There was very little smoke damage done to the room or the furniture. So... Even if you go back to some of these cases from the 50s and 60s, 80s, and, you know, now the early early to late 90s, you can find these pictures online. Um, I'm going to post them to our closed Facebook group if you guys want to join us at Haunted Visions to talk about them. Um, they're pretty grisly, but they also don't look real. I am um, I know they're, they're real, the, you know, forensic team of each, you know, police Division they're the ones who took those pictures, but it just looks so weird that you see a pile of ash and then a completely unburned, uncharred, you know just leg just laying there. There's no blisters, no nothing. It's just like right right below the knee. There's nothing there, and nothing else in the house is damaged in a lot of these pictures. It's just so freaky and just weird um or how about this other story in December two thousand eleven I'm um, sorry, two thousand one. A 23-year-old woman in Garden Grove, California, died from third-degree burns that she had suffered over 90% of her body. Firefighters in the coroner's office were left with the puzzle of how could this be possible when the fire only took four minutes to extinguish and was confined to a couch, table, and the chair in which the victim was sitting. So this woman's fire must have been a little bit hotter to start taking out other things, but... I mean, again, it wasn't that widespread. Only took the fire department four minutes to extinguish. Here's another story that freaked me out. On April 7th, 1969, Grace Walker of Long Beach, California, was found on the floor of her living room with burns covering 90% of her body. Again, it just sounds like literally they burn up in flames within a matter of minutes, maybe even seconds, most of their body only slight body parts will be left like a leg or maybe two hands but usually the torso and everything else is gone it'll just be one extra extremity so although this poor woman grace walker was still alive when she was discovered she was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital the investigating police officers said that only signs of fire in the house the only signs were ashes left from her clothes which had been burned from her body by the flames of her flesh. There were no burn, no burners lighted on the stove. There weren't any matches, lighters. They couldn't find anything like that. Friends and relatives said that the woman didn't smoke and she never really cooked. So, you know, it wasn't common for her to really do much that would involve, you know, a heat source like that. So again, it just left everyone baffled and they couldn't even figure out what, what was wrong. And, from all these other cases, it didn't look like there was any kind of foul play either, which I think really blows my mind. If you go in and investigate, obviously the first thing um, a forensic investigator is going to do is look for some kind of heat source, some kind of accelerant or ignition point, some kind of chemicals, and these cases don't have anything. The more of a deep dive I did, the more I realized that's why they some of these are still deemed as unsolved Because there is no proof of foul play. So let's do a deeper dive. There was a study done in 1961 by Dr. Gavin Thurston. He studied cases of spontaneous human combustion, and he arrived at these conclusions. So this guy, the number one thing that he says about all these cases, under certain conditions, a body will burn in its own fat with little or no damage to surrounding objects. The second conclusion he came to was that combustion is not spontaneous, but started by an external source of heat. Okay, well, you know, most of you are probably listening saying, duh, the only way something can ignite is an external source of heat. Well, some of these cases, victims were found next to fireplaces, um, and some of them did have lit cigarettes. But here's the kicker. A lot of those fireplaces weren't even burning They hadn't been burning for days. So there's no way an ember could have come out of the fireplace and just burned somebody up. It doesn't work like that. You have to have at least some small source of heat. Um, And as for the other cases where people were left, found with, you know, uh, a cigarette, in a lot of those cases, the cigarette wasn't even burned up. So how is a human body going to burn up and they're going to say, okay, well, it looks like the lit cigarette was an external source of heat to cause the fire? Okay, I would believe that had the person also been known as a smoker and if the cigarette was also ignited. But a lot of times they'll find a cigarette completely untouched near the, you know, near the scene. It doesn't make sense. It just, it doesn't make sense. So the third thing that this Dr. Thurston came to, his other conclusion, that this has occurred where the body has been in the path of a draft up a chimney from a lighted fire oxygenation of the flue prevents outward spread of the fire. So that would make sense. But again, not all cases were near a fireplace. Some, yes, but not all. Um, Poor Miss, you know, Walker burned up in her living room. She didn't have a fireplace. Or how about the other lady, you know, in her trailer? She didn't have anything like that. She didn't have any radiators. She didn't have... A fire, you can't have a, fly I guess you could these days, but back then you couldn't have a fireplace in your trailer. Just didn't work. They weren't made like that. And aside from Dr. Thurston's theories, there are others who believe spontaneous human combustion, or SCH, we'll just call it that from now on, that's a hell of a mouthful. They're all related to alcohol consumption and a focused heat source. Most victims are alcoholics and have been found dead near fireplaces, lit cigars or cigarettes, or heat sources such as radiators. But not all of them. Though the human body is made up of 50-70% to water, depending upon how much body fat or lean muscle mass a person has, they're still lighting on fire. It doesn't matter that a human body is made up of mostly water. It just isn't a factor in these cases. But a human body would need a heat source to ignite into flames and also a fuel source to keep the body burning. So, enter the Wick Effect. No, I'm not talking about Keanu Reeves playing uh, John Wick. Even though that movie was really action-packed, you should go see it. I liked it. So according to Medchrome.com, the Wick effect can be explained as follows. Person's clothing act as a wick, and that body fat can act as a long-burning fuel source that would eventually reduce a body into ash. A candle is composed of a wick on the inside surrounded by wax made of flammable fatty acids. The wax ignites the wick and keeps it burning. In the human body, the body fat would act like a flammable substance, and the victim's clothing or hair acts like the wick. As the fat melts from the heat, it soaks into the clothing and acts as a wick-like substance to keep the wick burning slowly. This explains that the escape of nearby inanimate objects from the fire, so, for example, if a victim is... (laughs) spontaneously combust, they're sitting there and, you know, nothing else in the room is as hot as that person, so they're not going to burn up. Usually it's just the chair that the person is sitting in, or, you know, maybe paint peels or something from behind them, or a table that's literally right next to the chair would, because it's within the realm of the heat source, but nothing else. And perhaps that's why the combustion of alcohol is such a common factor in most cases of spontaneous human combustion. So, for example... Um, I'd say about 75% of human combustion, maybe 80% even of cases, usually those people were alcoholics. If the Wick effect is a true reality, that would explain, you know, why they would burn up so quickly, seeing as alcohol would allow for a fire to burn up a body more quickly and more fiercely than of someone who isn't around any kind of sources or chemicals such as that. And this also became an explanation for the uh, spontaneous human combustion case of a 76-year-old Irishman by the name of Michael Faraday. Mr. Faraday died on December twenty-second, 2010. There were no evidence that suggested foul play. This, his body was found lying on the floor in his living room near a fireplace. His body was totally charred, and so was the ceiling above him and the floor beneath him. But strangely, nothing else was burned or warped, which suggested that no one else started the fire. Forensic investigators could not find a single source of accelerant. The coroner ruled um, Mr. Faraday's cause of death as spontaneous human combustion, and it left many people scratching their heads. They couldn't believe, you know, a coroner who had the credentials as, you know, and dealt with so many cases of death and having to investigate terrible things like this they couldn't believe that the man was so willing to offer spontaneous human combustion as the cause of death because it sounds crazy right it sounds insane but this stuff is happening and people have no idea how to handle it and it's like a lot of people don't even want to believe it because of all the news articles I was reading saying you know people or witnesses were stating that oh, this can't be true, this isn't, no, there's got to be another reason, there's got to be an explanation. Well, there's no evidence, there's nothing pointing to foul play. So this was one of the more um, highly publicized modern cases of spontaneous human combustion, and there weren't a lot of cases to hit the media for decades before poor Michael Faraday passed. So what's your take on spontaneous human combustion? Do you think, uh, you know, the wick effect doesn't make sense to you? Do you believe that all these cases are coincidences triggered by external flames? You can certainly find plenty of evidence on this subject on the internet or at your local library, but beware because this might send you down one crazy rabbit hole loaded with macabre photographic evidence because, um, let me tell you, that stuff haunts my nightmares after seeing all those pictures. Some of them, I'm telling you, they look crazy unrealistic because you just see, like, you know, a pile of ash and then legs that look like, I hate to say that, but almost like Halloween props. They just, they look perfectly untouched. But then everything else around what was the body, nothing's really burned, nothing's really scorched except for maybe the chair the person was sitting in. It just is, it's crazy. So sleep tight and maybe try to limit your alcohol consumption and avoid warming up by fireplaces because I'm not an expert on fire. However, I, I would think that most people who have experience or expertise in this, such as fire, you know, the fire department or firefighters would probably say that you should not hang out next to a fireplace if you had a fire within the next, you know, the last couple days. I'm sure there are embers that could be burning, but again, I, me personally, I'm kind of skeptical, skeptical to think that a lot of these cases were caused by a random ember just, catching, you know, fire, catching someone's clothes on fire and having them burn up in bright blue flames like that, that fast. I just, I don't know that I believe it. So right around, actually right before Christmas, there were a couple different stories in England about two gentlemen that just burned to flames and tons of eyewitness accounts. There were, there were dozens of people that saw this happen. So this might, um, maybe tickle your fancy if this is an interesting subject to you. You could look up the story of John Nolan. He was just walking along one day near a market and burst into blue flames. And completely, it was completely unexplained. People rushed over to help him and try to save him. But within a matter of minutes, the poor man burned up and died. And by the time police officers arrived and paramedics arrived um, and were able to actually invest the scene, investigate the scene and treat it like a crime scene, They couldn't find any accelerants. They couldn't find any foul play. Nothing. And I couldn't necessarily find anything talking about if Mr. Nolan did have an an issue with alcohol. Um, so I'm not going to just assume anything. Um, but I'm not sure if he did or not. But there was another man in Hull, England who burst into flames within a few days of this happening to this other guy. He's just walking down the street in front of, front of lots of people. Um, No one was with him, and he's walking along and all of a sudden just bursts into flames and starts screaming, crying for help, running around. No one could put out the flames, and before someone could get there on scene to help him, the poor man died. So take that as you you want, but mm, that makes me a little uncomfortable, and it makes me want to kind of, you know, not drink at all just in case that might be the case. And you never know, I'm, I'm wondering if this if a lot of the, you know, environment has to do with this, because a lot of these cases are from warmer environments, such as California, but then you have people in England who are burning up in flames in the winter and the fall, or you know, people in Ireland, it just doesn't make any sense. So I would love to know what you guys think about it, if you believe in it. If you happen to know of any first-hand cases, that would be really interesting if you guys wanted to write in to us and talk about it. So before I start the ghastly ghost corner of our podcast, I wanted to tell you guys thanks to everyone that's supporting us on Patreon. It really helps a lot, guys. There are a lot of costs that are incurred with podcasting, and we want to be able to you know, do this more often and bring you guys fuller and better content and more research and we really appreciate it. Even, you know, even a dollar helps. And we really, really thank you. And um, we're actually going to be creating and designing stickers. So within the next week or two, um, you guys will hopefully will get a message from us and we'll ask for your addresses, um, everyone that's supporting the podcast. And we'll, we, we will be sending you out some stickers just as a thank you um, for your donations and for your help. If you'd like to support us, you can go to um, patreon.com. Um, backslash haunted visions. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter now at haunted visions or on Instagram at haunted visions podcast. You can email me your ghostly gas stories to haunted visions podcast at gmail.com. Usually within a day or two, I will respond to you. Um, I have quite a few stories in the pipeline that I think you guys are really, really, really going to love. I know I read some to Brandy and she was just fascinated Again, like uh we had stated in our, our previous podcast, we will be at Pottern Love and that's from August 10th through the 12th in good old New Orleans and talk about a city that is just so full of energy and to me is one of the paranormal, you know, meccas of the world. You have to go to New Orleans and go on a cemetery tour or learn about Marie Laveau, we who we covered a few episodes ago. It would be really great to see you guys there, especially if you live close by. You know, check out Potter and Love's website or visit Potter and Love on Facebook. I think you guys would have a great time. Along with other people that are going to be on a paranormal pa- panel with us, it's going to be um, Diane and Denise from History Goes Bump. Definitely check out their podcast. And also Mike Brown with Pleasing Tears. There will be a bunch of other genres there as well. Um, and just a couple podcasts you guys should check out. We're going to try to get you the trailer soon for Stranger Than Podcast. Really awesome podcast. Somewhat similar to ours. I think you guys should check it out. You would really, really like it. And also, um, Carla has a podcast called There May Be Cupcakes, or There Might Be Cupcakes, sorry. It's a really awesome podcast too. Carla is a very unique person and puts an, an interesting spin on things. Um, you should also try Is This Adulting? If you ever need some kind of supportive podcast that'll make you laugh but also talk about hard issues that other podcasts sometimes don't touch on, I think that you should check out Stephen Pappas and his podcast. You'd really like it. If you're a true crime fan, you should try They Walk Among Us with Ben and Roseanne. I think you would love it. Um, or Insight with Charlie and Allie. Or um, if you are not offended easily and you would like a good laugh along with some history and some true crime combos, you should check out History Dweebs, who Brandy also is one of the co-hosts for History Dweebs, and it's hilarious, and it will have you splitting your sides from laughing so hard. So there's some podcasts to get you going. If you haven't heard from those before, check them out. Let us know what you think, Um, and also join our Facebook group. For Haunted Visions the podcast. Like us on Facebook um, or you know if you really like our podcast please give us a good rating if you like us on iTunes. We would love that so much. So without further ado I'm going to read you um, several stories actually sent in to us by Bob. I won't say his last name. I don't know if he's he'd be comfortable with that. So I'm just going to start off with this. He is a great writer, by the way. I absolutely loved reading your stories, Bob. So thank you so much for submitting them to Brandy and I. So Bob's um, name of his story is Close Encounters with a Cryptid. We haven't yet gone over cryptid stories, so hopefully you guys will really, really like this. So he says, greetings. First, awesome podcast. Love you both. He's got a story about um, a Sasquatch that he encountered in the wilds of Montana. So, I'm going to read this off to you. So, his first encounter with a Sasquatch. He says, I lived way up north in Montana for a time back in the early 80s, like half an hour from Canada. Rugged, gorgeous country. I was a sophomore in high school, so about 15 years old. I lived with some family friends, whole different story about why, but in a tiny house with wood heat. We had a huge garden, raised animals for food, and also hunted and fished and picked wild berries to supplement our pantry. Needless to say, their son, who was a year older than I, and we spent a lot of time cruising around the back roads of the Rocky Mountains just doing stuff. That summer, we were up close to the yak wilderness, scouting for whatever we could find. Mushrooms, huckleberries, fishing spots, game trails, etc. The yak is remote, at best. Mostly vertical, thick, old-growth forests, Moss-covered trees and lots of bears. Kind of primordial-looking, really. At one point, the Forest Service had blocked out the road. We called the road Old Kelly Hump. So we got out and wandered a bit. The ground was covered, or the ground cover, was this amazing mix of tight ferns and thick, knee-deep moss. It was like the spongiest mattress you've ever felt. There were sunbeams dappling the ground, and it was this idyllic scene, like from a fantasy story. One of us said, I bet these big mounds would be really comfortable to lie on. We would say that a lot during our teenage years, but we weren't always talking about the moss. (laughs) We each picked a spot and flopped down. Yep, they were comfy. I remember staring up at the trees and seeing the bugs and such flashing through the streaming sunlight. I could hear birds, and there was a little creek nearby that was babbling along. I started to doze. Time passed. I have no idea how much. Suddenly it felt like I'd been electrocuted. My whole body lit up and convulsed, and I found myself sitting sitting up, spine-arched, shoulders hunched up by my ears, staring at my friend who was in the exact same position. I literally felt like I was grabbed by live wire. My ears were singing, every hair standing on end. We sat up frozen for what seemed like a few seconds, with identical expressions on our faces. Shock. Fear. Eyes wide, mouths hanging open. I had another little convulsion that, I guess, must have released me and let my shoulders drop. We sprinted back to the truck without saying a word. We were back on the highway and halfway home before one of us said, What the F was that? It takes a lot to rattle two backwoods teenage boys, and we were positively vibrating. We decided to stop at the neighbors down the road from our place. They were in their 80s, lived in a tiny shack with no electricity, and only recently installed indoor plumbing. They were our source of wisdom in the world. They made us lemonade, and we sat with the old man on the porch, such as it was, which really it was a patch of dirt in front of the house with two lawn chairs. He asked us what was up, because we looked like we had a fright. We told him, and he laughed. He was 80 years old, well over 300 pounds, and basically the sweetest, overall-wearing, God-fearing mountain man I'd ever met. But he had the most amazingly high-pitched laugh I'd ever heard. Gales of laughter. He slapped his leg and had to mop his brow as he worked up a sweat from rocking back and forth. "'You boys were up in the yak, weren't ya?' he roared with laughter. "'We hadn't told him where we were.' "'Boys, you ought to know that's Bigfoot's country up there.' He laughed and laughed as his wife sat quietly nodding her head. "'Boys, that's the only place I've ever been scared in the woods. Was fishing a bit and all of a sudden all the hair stood up on my body and I started to sweat and just got plumb scared. For no reason.' Well, I ran right out of there, got home and talked to my father, and he said an old Indian, backwoods Montana, remember, that was what we called Native Americans, once told him that the Sasquatch, that's what the Indians called them, produces a scent that humans can't smell, but that makes the chemicals in your brain go haywire. It produces like a natural human repellent. You boys got damn close to a Bigfoot. Over the years, I've thought about it, and quite a bit, actually, and I think the old man was right. We got hit with a dose of Sasquatch pheromones, And it worked, too. We never went back up that road. So, here's a story about his second encounter with his Sasquatch. Much more tangible than the first, I promise. The background. See previous encounter post. Up at Frank Lake, outside 14 Montana, he said the population was only 29 since he left. That's a pretty small remote area. Remote mountain location, northern Montana summer, small lake, maybe 12 acres, with a small island in the middle. We chose to camp out on the west side of the lake since we hadn't bought the canoe or brought the canoe or the dog and didn't feel like swimming out to the island with all our gear. They spent most of the day fishing and just hanging out as teenage boys would want to do. It was chilly, northern Montana, so that's pretty standard and we had decided to bring a tent against the usual, impervious mountain man protocol we were attempting to establish. After dinner and a nice fire, we retired to our two-man camp. Tent. Now, for those of you tenderfoot, non-hunting, city dwellers, a bit of information. The only animal that moves at a constant rate through the forest is a human. Think about it. Animals do not keep up constant plodding paces. They move, stop and look around, move a bit, stop trot a little way, stop and look around, take a few steps, etc. People tend to just walk. This is important if you're a hunter, because game can sense you coming just by the constant never-changing rhythm of your footfalls. So if you're trying to sneak up to a furry critter to kill them, change it up once in a while. So we had retired and chatted for a bit, finally falling asleep. We were in the trees so it was dark, and I mean dark. Not like city dark, like wilderness on a cloudy night dark, Like pitch black, no stars, no moon, D-A-R-K, dark. And suddenly, I was awake. Wide awake. Didn't know why. I moved around to try to get comfortable when my tent mate grabbed my arm. Not in a friendly way either, but in a scared way. We didn't get scared. We were bulletproof teenagers. Except that the one I mentioned in my previous encounter post, this was him. He grabbed my arm in such a way that I held my breath to see what was up. And then I heard it. Footsteps coming towards us, at a very regular rate. Side note, bipeds sound different than quadrupeds when walking, and this was a biped, no doubt in my mind. It was pitch black dark, and there were footfalls approaching with no accompanying light. The hair stood up on my body, and my ears started to sing with tension. I had an unprovoked flight response, but I couldn't move. The footsteps got louder and closer, and never broke stride. And they were getting close. I broke out in a cold sweat. I heard my buddy grip the rifle between us but had a flash of doubt as to whether the old Winchester would protect us. The crunch, crunch, crunch got so close I was sure we were about to be stepped on and my eyes felt like they would fall out of my head. And as it passed right by the front of the tent, I mean within a few feet of us, you could hear the individual twigs and pine needles breaking under its tread. And it continued on right past us so close. And they continued on into the blackness, never breaking stride. I started to shake. I distinctly remember my chest releasing enough to let me breathe and hearing both of us gasp for breath. And that's what we did for quite some time. Just pant and grip the rifle. My friend, being a year older and maybe braver, finally pulled the zipper to the tent and we turned on our flashlights. The sounds were long gone, and we found no evidence of its presence. No tracks. Nothing but the residual energy of its passing. We didn't sleep much just the night. At dawn, we conducted a thorough investigation of the area and found nothing but a vague trail. The needles and pine duff were too spongy to hold a track. But we both had the same haunted look in our eyes. We knew what it was. No man could have ever walked through the forest and pitch black dark at that speed. And the only other large biped in the Rocky Mountains is, well, you know. I'm going to go ahead and guess he means Sasquatch, as everyone else probably just assumed. So that's it for this episode of Haunted Visions, guys. I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, I hope that you enjoyed your holidays, and I hope 2018 brings a lot of awesome things your way. Again, Brandy and I would just absolutely love to see you guys in August if you could make it. I know that I'll be down there that Thursday... Um, which will be August 9th, and I'm going to probably stay for quite a few days. And I would love to see you guys at the convention. If it's something you're interested in, you know, give it a look. Um, You can email us your stories. Come chat with us on our group page of Haunted Visions, the podcast. And until then, I know that you guys are dying to hear Brandy and her sweet voice come back to you. She'll be with you next episode, as will I. So don't let the ghosties bite. Bye, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Joanna. And I'm Nate, and we are Stranger Than. We discuss a variety of mysterious topics, ranging from historic events to present-day urban myths and legends. Please join us. Look up Stranger Than Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and most other of your favorite places to get podcasts. Also check us out on Facebook at facebook.com strangerthanpodcast. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.